down where it was tangled and dark, down where the spirits feasted on carrion, down, down, down. It was there. Yes, the high-hatted ones forever screamed, Eureka! And we welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazzocco. Each edition of Drive Back the Night, we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we take a look at it, taking it apart, dissecting it, looking deeply at the things that we enjoy, uh, that we appreciate, asking questions about the show that we're watching, and hopefully getting answers to those questions. Yeah. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. That is true. That is true. Ryan. Yes. We're, we're kicking off season four. We are. Um, and I got to say, I'm actually a little surprised to see you here tonight. I didn't think you were going to be coming over. Well, you did say it was pasta night. And you know me. I would not miss that for the world. Oh, excellent. So here I am. Here we are. Season four. Yep. And I didn't get any pasta. 47. Okay. What do you say we do some trivia? Uh, 3.14159265359. Okay, trivia. Uh, This episode, Answers Given to Questions Never Asked, was written by Robert Ingalls. It was also directed by Jorge Montesi. Nigel Bennett plays Paru. He is our uh, main guest actor that we have here. He's a hardworking actor, and he got his beginning in British theater before coming to Canada in the 1980s. He's appeared in such films as Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. I'm sorry, that was television. Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. Earth, Final Conflict. Super Dave, to name just a very few. He also played MI6 Control in Triple X, Return of Xander Cage in 2017. He also played Larkin Tanner in two episodes of the Dark Matter series. You remember that one, don't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he can be seen in one episode of the current Netflix series, V Wars. And that's Nigel Bennett. Carmen Moore, she plays Trigemma in this episode. She has also an extensive list of uh, television series that she's appeared in, including among those, The Commish. All right. We haven't had a Commish signing in a, or uh, sighting mm-hmm. in a little while. Uh, Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis, The 4400. She had a recurring role as Jolie Levant in the 2007 Flash Gordon series. She played Fidelia Fazekas in the series Caprica. That was a Battlestar Galactica. Uh, not a, I, I, it's not a reboot. Caprica was a, what, a prequel, I think it was? I watched a little bit of it, um, but I'm digressing here. She also played a character named Harper in the television movie Meteor Storm. So I wanted to bring that one up as well. I have not seen Meteor Storm, but it caught my eye that her character name was Harper in that particular made-for-television movie. This is her first of five appearances in Andromeda, all of them taking place in Season 4. John Reardon plays Luck. 
and he wasn't very lucky, was he? No, not really. Mm-mm. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your <laughs> your uh, summary there with that little joke. Uh, he played in Eureka, one that I love. He was in Tron Legacy. He appeared on Supernatural, and he played Greg Cameron in this television series, Continuum, one that I know that you're familiar yep. with, right? Mm-hmm. And finally, we have Steve Macage. He played Commander Cross. Uh, he has appearances going all the way back to the mid-80s. He played a guard in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. So that's his claim to fame in film. He also appeared in The Commish, The Outer Limits, Millennium, The X-Files, Stargate SG-1, Eureka, and Smallville. And that's what I've got for trivia for answers given to questions never asked. Um, C. Always go with C. Yep. Are you giving me just, like, answers to questions I'm not asking? Yeah. Uh, that's that's exactly what's happening, mm-hmm. isn't it? Okay. Stop it. Oh, okay. Summary? Do you have one? Uh, C. D. <laughs> None of the above. Yes. Yes. Yes, I've got it right here. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Please, Ryan, mm-hmm. the summary. All right. Answers to given to questions never asked. In the conference room, the crew discusses the fate of the Commonwealth fleet. It appears they are farthest from the planet Terrazed, where the seat of power of the Commonwealth lies. Andromeda reports five Ogami ships chasing a small carrier ship. Dylan instructs Rami to fire, destroying the three Ogami ships and chasing the other two away. The courier ship hails the Andromeda. Courier pilot Luck arrives on the Andromeda with a message for Dylan. He pulls a flexi from his vest, and when Dylan plays it, a hologram of a man named Peru appears, stating, The Commonwealth is history. <laughs> Peru tells them that he is holding Trigema, a triumvir captive, saying that she will die with him, and Dylan is to blame for the end of the triumvirate. Dylan has no other choice but to set out to rescue the triumvir. After a bit of audio-video analysis, they discover that Peru is a collector, a group formed in secret to locate and preserve the knowledge of the old commonwealth after the fall. However, they have been using that knowledge to gain political power. They also discover that he is at the all-forces nullification point, the same place where Lux Courier ship went into slipstream. Dylan instructs Rami to run the Peru communiques that she has come across. In the first, Peru is ordering an unknown Commonwealth member to ignore the attacks on the Triumvirate on Terrazad. In the next, Peru is ordering everyone to engage, claiming the Andromeda is firing on the Commonwealth fleet. In the final sequence, he reports the Andromeda has abandoned him and his crew. When the Andromeda arrives at the all-forces nullification point, Trance notices a small planet in the middle that is rapidly falling apart. To ensure their safety, Dylan instructs the remaining Commonwealth members to pull back and wait for his orders while the Andromeda heads toward the planet. He and Becca take a slip fighter down to the planet, finding a very unstable surface. Peru appears and mocks their efforts, telling them they will all die when he disappears into a cave. Dylan and Becca decide to split up to look for Trigema. Dylan finds Peru in a cave and beats Trigema's location out of him, and with Rami's help, he finds her. Dylan and Trigema are in a standoff, while Dylan is trying to convince Trigema to leave the planet, but she doesn't trust him, still believing the lies that he destroyed the Commonwealth fleet. Peru appears, telling Trigema that she will be safe staying on the planet, as all three of them have their force lances drawn, Reservoir Dog style, 
Dylan strikes down Peru, and he morphs into a puddle of dark goo with a point of light at the center, reminiscent of the spirit of the abyss. Trigema sees this, finally realizing it was the abyss controlling him. Becca appears, and they race for the slip fighter. Back on the Andromeda, they use the courier's original flight plan to open a slipstream portal around them and take off through slipstream, faster than ever before, and the whole command crew suddenly sees the spirit of the abyss standing on the command deck. The ship comes out of slipstream, and all is calm again. They deliver Trigema back to Terrazed, where things are being restored, and the other two Triumvirs are safe. Dylan stands before the Commonwealth Senate, where he is hailed as a hero, and then begins to deliver what we would expect to be a really great speech. The end. All right. Ryan, I gotta ask you a question. Okay. Did Paru become the tunnel at the end of the light? Hmm. It's all connected, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just wanted to do a callback to a yeah. previous episode. All right. Yeah, but that was interesting that you brought that up, and maybe we'll get to to what happens to Paru in in in, in that liquid state. Yeah, we'll talk about okay, that. Okay, we'll go. We'll come yeah. back. Mm-hmm. Put a pin in that. Okay, that's our first pin of season four. <laughs> All right, we'll see if we come back to it. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, I'm gonna go one more. Okay. Last time on Andromeda, Rami used the term efforting. You know what? I didn't write it down, but I was like, was that really worthy of being in the flashback in the recap? Exactly. Did we need that? And, and the reaction shot too. Yes. We, that's, yes. That's like a whole second. Of of runtime that they wasted. I, I'm telling you though, I laughed when I saw it, <laughs> and so uh, you know there was a little humor there. Yeah. No. I. I. Yeah. I. Well, I rolled my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of that too, uh-huh. I do believe. But uh-huh. yeah, I just we we can't continue until I can bring out that last time on Andromeda. That, oh yeah. That's a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to Paru, uh, bad guy monologue much. For real, where where did this guy get his his monologuing skills from? I mean, it what Peru Peru? Yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so not only does he just drone on and on and on, but he is really bad at it too. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. He didn't have a cape, did he? Uh, I don't think he did. I don't think so either. He needed one. Yeah. No, he just had the the long trench coat. Okay. No cape. Right. He needed a cape. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like they missed out a little bit on that wardrobe decision. Becca, at one point early on, when they're deliberating on whether or not they're going to get involved in this latest plan that Dylan has hatched or not, uh, Becca does say, come on, doesn't it feel like it's over? And I almost wonder, is this the writing team kind of maybe teasing the audience a little bit? (laughs) Because honestly, how do you come back from where they ended up in season three? I mean, obviously we're invested Mm -hmm. and we want to see the story continue. But I wonder if if by throwing that line in there, they're tipping their hat a little or not tipping the hat, but but they're they're playing along with the audience. Because maybe the audience is wondering, why is the show still going? <laughs> didn't they Did, lose? Didn't they lose? <laughs> yes. Didn't they lose last season? Yeah. It's all over. Yeah. And and it's very much what it feels like when we start this episode. And I think it was it was humorous and a little bit of a nod to the audience 
felt like to me for Becca to say that at this point. So um, I know that you're not a real big fan, but I do feel like uh, the writers also maybe gave a little bit of a nod to Lebowski. Okay. Um, because this would have been not, well, just a few years after Lebowski. Not was long released. after Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Trance has the line, the fate of the universe is in your hands, Captain. To me, I thought it sounded an awful lot like Brant's line, her life is in your hands, dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I know that this is falling on a on a ignorant it's, audience it's here a, with can, you. You see, here. you see what I'm doing here? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the hand over the head right. gesture right, right. there. So, but yeah. I guarantee you, our, our listeners out there... Somebody got it. Yeah, okay. they're, they're like... That was totally Lebowski. <laughs> right. Her life is in your hands, dude. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, just the delivery, the whole cadence of the way she said it, it just sounded like they just pulled it right from it. So I just had to make mention of that. It made me smile. It made you smile. Yeah. That, and that's what's important. Yeah. Here, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've got another line I want to draw attention to. I've got actually most of my observations were specific dialogue mm-hmm. that was uttered and the one that we had here is latest inductee into a plane of sorrow, disillusionment, and confusion. And again, I come back to this. Is this the writers talking to the audience? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm making light of it here. But uh, yeah, it just felt like for part of this episode, I felt like, yeah, that I'm, I'm the latest inductee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not just Dylan on screen there, but uh, I feel a little bit the same way. Uh, and, and just continuing on with the dialogue, I had one more. Uh, you take care of Mr. Cuckoo there. <laughs> I, lo- I love Becca in this episode, honestly, mm-hmm. because she had some of the best lines. Uh, let me ask you a question. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. I like that one, too. Yeah, yeah. Those, were, those were great. So, yeah, I just wanted to draw attention to some of those. Yeah, those were, you know, low-hanging fruit, maybe. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, right in Becca's wheelhouse right. and it felt right. Mm-hmm. It felt like a Becca Valentine line. And so I just wanted to point those out. I enjoyed those. Uh, Lisa Ryder's delivery was excellent. That's all we've got for observations. Let's get down to the meat of it. Okay. What did we learn in this episode about the Andromeda universe? Um, there's a thing called the all systems nullification point. Okay. Um, you and I have gone round around a lot about slipstream. Right? Yeah. And we've gone around and around even more about AI. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. I know this is just, this is the first time we're hearing about this thing. Mm -hmm. AI and slipstream to me is a more cogent idea, I guess, a a more solid and realistic idea than this. (laughs) I I just want to come at it. All the cards on the table, mm-hmm. right right to start off. What is this? Okay. So, the way I understand this, this seems to be out somewhere in the middle in, in intergalactic space. In, in the middle between the three galaxies that make up the Commonwealth. Triangulum, Andromeda, Milky Way. Right. Yeah. Um, somewhere out there in the middle between them. And like like the perfect the center, the perfect center point. Yeah, wow, a pivot point in which the the gravitational forces all come together. Yeah, okay. Kind of the way I see it is like if 
if at the center of each galaxy is a supermassive black hole. Okay. And then this would kind of be the same thing, but it's made up of all of the gravitational forces that the galaxies together make up. So this would be like it, triple. Okay, except. Unless it's on like a logarithmic scale, then this would be like 90 times stronger than any supermassive black hole. Right, right. Let me ask you this. Okay. Have we established if Slipstream, does it exist within the fabric of the universe in this in this universe that we are observing? I mean, it allows them to travel from point A to point B or point A to point D in seconds, mm-hmm. if, if, if that's what they decide to do, right? Right. So that... That has to exist outside of the normal laws of physics that exist in three-dimensional space. Correct? Uh, I'm not entirely sure if if the strings are in normal space or not. Uh, if, if you're a person who just, who subscribes to string theory, then isn't that really what slipstream is? You're writing on the strings? Yeah, yeah. So they, is that they, normal space? But the way or? it's portrayed, as they enter Slipstream, they have to open a portal. So basically, they have to access an, another dimension, mm-hmm. right? In order to travel through three-dimensional space in the blink of an eye, they have to travel to another dimension. So to me, Slipstream, while connected to three-dimensional space, is something that exists outside of three-dimensional space. Yeah. Um, Harper... He kind of he talks about uh, the theory of the riding the waves of the universe. Right, right. And I think that what what he's talking about is he's talking about these different forces. One of them is a normal thing that they're used to, and that's slipstream. And then when you combine it with the theory of the universe being able to fold over itself, and then suddenly when you have the universe folded over itself, you're able to travel through it much much faster. And that's what it is here. They were able to to catch that perfect wave and ride it, and that's why they were able to go like 18 times faster than they've ever gone before. Um, but I still see it all as, this is just me. I, I don't know if, I'm, I'm not saying I'm right, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I see it as a part of normal space as much as as much as string theory is part of normal space as much as black matter or black hold on as much as dark, dark matter, matter dark or matter, yeah. dark energy yeah. is part of normal space it's something that is there but it's not but yeah we're <laughs> at this point we're not able to detect it right okay okay so i bring that up in order to kind of better understand it, what it, what was this called? All the all the all systems? All, no, not all systems, because I keep confusing it with all systems university. All forces nullification point. That to me sounds like what you were alluding to there: dark matter, uh, slip stri- slip space, sl- slipstream, uh, gravitational forces. All of it converges in that point. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's a convergence in the force. 
Yeah. Wait, no, I'm getting another universe confused so in there, too. what I want to know, though, is are all of these forces at this point coming together, or are all of these forces coming apart? Well, they do. They describe it's the all forces nullification point. I, I, I see it as a juncture, but within that pocket that it creates, nothing can exist. Mm-hmm. So it's just constantly rending itself. Okay. That's what I got out of it. So, I mean, it is sort of like a super massive super massive black hole except we can escape from it well this time (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. okay point yeah right i'm not gonna argue with you on that well i mean there were other forces involved for here i mean right that's the only reason that they were able to get out of it is because the spirit of the abyss who is not of this dimension true was able to hold stuff together long enough for the plot right right Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. I, I think we've talked about it. Okay. Let's move on. All right. Uh, let's talk about Paru. Okay. What do you think of Paru? The portrayal here. And, mm-hmm. and, and I just want to, you know, touch on his character okay. a little bit briefly, but then more uh, a more broader discussion of him as a collector. Okay. The thing with Paru is that I'm not really sure how to feel about him as a person because I don't know that we ever really got to know who he actually was. Because our very first sighting of him was in this hologram where he is totally off his rocker and issuing all of these threats. Hold on. I don't I don't think he was totally off. I think he was off his rocker. He was coming off his rocker. He was coming, and then when we're physically in his presence, yeah. that's when he's totally off his rocker. <laughs> right. And then we have um all of the the ship logs, the communiques that that they were able to intercept um and dissect. And there he seems manipulative, but he's with it. You know? Yeah, uh, he's not quite. He's not quite to that point of of incoherence. I I really appreciated the point when Dylan is standing there in front of him when they when they first walk into the into his presence or when he floats into their presence. Yeah, I yeah, know. yeah. Let's let's All we're right. getting there. Okay. Um, but in that moment, he is both crazy and sane. He has he has lucid moments with them, mm-hmm. which I gotta say, the actor I felt pulled it off mm-hmm. quite well in those scenes. I, I thought he did an excellent job with the 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 split in his personality or in his uh, stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I thought it was actually well done. But, yeah, what what's allowing... Is it because he is basically in... Is the Abyss inhabiting him, and that's what's giving him the power to float through rooms? That's really what it seemed like to me. Okay. Um, okay. And you know if if you're you're going through this on a first watching without knowing that there is something inside him, like actually inside him, yeah, inhabiting his person, then it does. It, why is he all of a sudden able to do all of these things? Yeah, and then it it becomes clear that he is being tortured. Yes, uh, psychologically, this man is being he's broke. Yes, he's completely tortured. He's broken. Yeah. And so that's why I go back to my original point here is we really don't know who he is. We know that he's a collector. We know that the collectors have gained knowledge and used it as leverage uh, for power politically. 
So on just knowing that, then we want to probably go ahead and assume that uh, he's probably not a great guy to begin with. But then again, we don't really know that, do we? No. All we know I, is it, now we have this this character who is being possessed by this creature from another dimension, and he's acting yeah. on that influence. And, and so the next logical question that I want to ask you, Ryan, mm-hmm. is how do we feel about this guy that we don't know that was in a position of power, and suddenly now the whole plot of the Commonwealth coming apart and everything that we saw in the last episode of season three, how do we feel about this being the, the fulcrum or the, the pivot point on which all of this hangs is on Paru. I want to ask that question, but that's, I feel like that's leading into the next segment of the show. Okay. (laughs) Unless you want to, do we want to go ahead and break that now and and discuss that here? Well, I mean, I think, and again, it's been a long time since I've seen season four, so I'm not giving anything away here because okay. I legitimately don't remember. Okay. But it it seems like it would be a bit short-sighted of the Abyss. is If he is able to have this ability to put all of his eggs in one basket, the basket being Paru. <laughs> nice analogy there, a basket. <laughs> yeah. Because this guy was a basket case. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so yeah, we see him as being the pivot point, the fulcrum for the whole fall of everything that went down in the last episode yeah. of season three. But but was he, or was he just one of the many pawns that the abyss is using? Uh, again, I say that I'm posing it as a question. I'm not giving anything away yeah, because okay. again, I don't remember. But if I'm just looking at this from where we stand right now. And now learning that the Abyss has this ability to control people that are in very powerful positions. Um, If I were the Abyss, I'd be pulling on more than one string. More than one string. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So, is this, uh, without revealing too much about what we're getting in Season 4, is this maybe a recurring theme that we might see woven throughout the season? Well, that's what I mean, I'm, because yeah. he's not the only one. There are more collectors out there. Mm-hmm. So maybe we get to see more of them. Mm-hmm. And and maybe they're being influenced by the Abyss, too. This this has the makings of an interesting plot point. Uh, and I'm curious to see how this unfolds throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, and then why not go after the Triumvirate? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, that was a target because he had her there with him. Was he really going to kill her or was she just bait? To draw Dylan in. Uh, she was definitely bait. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't or, see any or reason. Or did the Abyss just not care? <sighs> okay. See, now, there there was a line, Paru. Now, it's delivered by Paru, but is it really the Abyss that's saying it? Um, that, no, actually, I may be wrong. Was it Paru that said it, or was it just Dylan that alluded to it, that... Uh, he doesn't need to, he doesn't care if he loses as long as Dylan does too. Yes, that was Paru. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wait. No, 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 you're right. Dylan did say that. Okay. You're right. Okay. So he somehow deduced that. Yes. Dylan does a lot of deducing in this episode that I'm a little (laughs) fuzzy on whether or not that's possible or Mm -hmm. not. 
anyway, but, go ahead. But that's what he deduces here is that it's really not so much about winning as much as not allowing Dylan to win. Yeah. Um, and again, by the end of the episode, then we are given to understand that this is the abyss that doesn't want Dylan to win. But doesn't the abyss have a clear objective? We were led to think so. Mm-hmm. And it's not just to make Dylan fail. Exactly. But if Dylan is the only one that can succeed in thwarting the Abyss's plans, then isn't a loss for Dylan kind of by default a win for the Abyss? <laughs> mm, maybe so. I mean, you say, I don't care if you win or if, if I win, I just don't want you to win. Then you win if they lose. I, I'm I'm working on an idea here. Okay. Is Paru inhabited by the Abyss, or is this a part of the Abyss that is inhabiting him? Okay, now see that, yeah, that's a big question, and I think that's kind of what our, remember we, we put a pin in it earlier? Yes, we okay, did. Okay, so this was my note on that, okay. was we have, um, we're, we end up with a puddle of Abyss. <laughs> okay, but then... That's a great band name. <laughs> that is. All right. Um, but then we see the abyss in its full form on the command deck yeah um it didn't seem to be missing an arm or anything <laughs> correct all right i don't know maybe it's just a there was a little hole where yeah. part of him was missing yeah so are these actually um is it part of the abyss or are these agents of the abyss ah, was that a, was that its own entity itself mm. um that is that is subservient to the spirit of the abyss. It, it is subjected to the will of the abyss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, no, that's a great idea, uh, and I like that idea. I mean, better. is it is it is it just an entity that follows the commands of the abyss, or is it actually its own conscious being Wait. that is subservient to the abyss? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna break Star Trek. So a changeling. In Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it, it did seem very changeling, didn't it? it okay, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. So now that we're talking about this, yes, I'm definitely getting that feeling. So the way the changelings explain themselves is when they're together, they are an ocean. But when they are separated, the ocean becomes a drop. So is is that kind of what's happening here with... And, and I'm, I'm, getting a, I'm getting a really hard through line from Robert Hewitt Wolf from Deep Space Nine to uh, Andromeda if we say yes on this. Mm-hmm. But is this a little piece of the abyss? Is, is this is this the the abyss becoming a little chasm? Or, I don't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> a hole? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you call a, a little section of the abyss is what I'm having a hard time trying to articulate here. But you see what I'm saying. Right? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. As, as an analogy for what's happened here to Paru. Yeah, and I think it makes the the abyss um, more menacing. Yeah, and and I think it makes our universe richer um, because that's that's the thing we just don't know what we're dealing with right here. So yeah, and, we don't we don't get a whole lot of hard facts stated to us mm-hmm. in the show. We're told a lot of things. A lot of it's confusing though. Mm-hmm. Um. So we're kind of left to infer. But I kind of like where we're going with this. Mm-hmm. We talked about Tyr a yep. little bit, briefly. Harper was reluctant to talk about 
those that we do not name. Yeah. <laughs> those whom we do not speak of. Um, but anyway, yeah, we talked about Tyr a little bit. He's out there, but he's uh, he's definitely not on the ship anymore. Yeah. So uh, that stuck mm-hmm. from season three to season four, apparently. Uh, Keith Hamilton Cobb is gone. Yeah, and so did the animosity towards him. It also stuck. Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. Uh, which, you know, hey, good for them. Hey, uh, they carried something through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little uh, little thread there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I assume that's going to rear its ugly head later. Just the way Dylan asked the question, when we see you again, mm-hmm. will, will you be a friend or will you be an enemy? Right. And we didn't get an answer. Mm-hmm. And, and in season four, they are letting you know he is still out there. Mm-hmm. So I, I can only, that leads me to believe, yes, we are going to see him again. Mm-hmm. Uh, in what capacity? We'll have to wait and see. Yep. I would think. Um, I have a little bit of a discussion here on the crew. We kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but uh, just exactly what the crew has gone through and what and where they are now. Do you feel sympathetic towards them at all, especially like Harper and Becca when they're just like, "Look, I'm done." I. I- I wrote this down as it took us 20 minutes to figure out that we're still going to go along. Mm-hmm. I mean, they made their bet. They've made their bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you're either off or you're on. Mm-hmm. It, it's a it's a it's a quick decision. And yet we spent 20 minutes of this episode deliberating on whether or not oh, are we going to don't you feel like it's over? Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like we're done here. Uh, um, and no, I, I, yeah, well, I didn't buy into it. Not just so much of the, you know, it feels like it's all over and I feel like we're done. But it was really to me, especially with Harper, he was like, I don't know if it's done or not, but I'm tired. No, I I didn't I don't buy it because you don't, well when I, you I, say you don't buy it as in I, okay I don't buy it as in I'm I'm not sympathetic to how he feels in that moment okay you're the engineer on you're the this is the best gig you're ever gonna have so what if you get kicked around a little bit right so what if you feel tired so what if it feels pointless to continue on you get to live on this great ship with great people and he says it. Later on in the episode, when he finally comes around to, yeah, I'm all in, he, <laughs> I would be dead anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So, no, I'm not, I'm not empathetic to Harper's plot. Haven't we it, all been guilty of that from time to oh, time? absolutely. I mean, let's, let's look at this from a real life standpoint, okay? You and I, we have reasonably comfortable lives, okay? Agreed. Uh, we're not, we're not rich, we're not in poverty. Um, we're we're not we're not living in a war torn land. Um, yet there may still sometimes be moments where we look at our lives and say, "Man, couldn't I have got something better?" <laughs> I hear you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And you know, and really, Harper for everything that he has. Do we ignore the fact that he has been through some stuff more? He's been through more than either you or I have in the last, you know, hour, three years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. You're mm-hmm. right. I should feel I should demonstrate a little bit of empathy toward Harper. I just had a hard time getting there. Mm-hmm. 
I, I very much throughout the the early part of this episode was like, come on already, let's get to the plot, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, the the whole thing with luck laying dying on the bed. It, it, they have a conversation. He and Trance have a conversation. Yeah, he's at the end. She can tell you're you're dying. He doesn't look like he's dying, really. Mm-hmm. And and then ten minutes later, he's having a conversation with Dylan, and then he's out. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it was. Well, I All really think what he needed to, quote, complete his journey was he needed that promise from Dylan. Yeah. Because he held on for that. Yes. He said, promise me you're going to fix the Commonwealth. Dylan says, I don't know if I can make that promise. You better promise. Promise me. Yeah. Okay, I promise. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> he pulled a Padme I, right there yeah. on the table. <laughs> I think that really Dylan could have saved his life. By refusing to promise. I need you, soldier, to help me. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a much better... Uh, I think that would have been, uh, been a much better scenario. Right. Mm. Yeah. Missed opportunity. He could have been part of the crew. He could have been part of the crew. We're missing a crew member now. Yeah. He mm. could have filled that void. Yeah. Of mm. course, he has been tortured. So maybe he's too broken. Maybe so. Maybe. Maybe so. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. know. I, I honestly, he, I would really like to have seen him on the command deck rocking that leather cap with the goggles. Mm-hmm. That would have been really cool in the uh, the flight flight chair. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you know what? When it comes down to it, in any event, whether Harper and Trant or whether Harper and Becca and, you know, ultimately Trance too. Let's not leave her out of this. Um, of course, Rami's going to go. She's all in. Oh, yeah. Because she's a warship. And, and that, okay, that's, that's yes. what she's made to do. That's a great point. And honestly, I felt like that's where the... I would have been happier if the rest of the crew had been like that. Mm-hmm. Ma- okay, yeah. Maybe deliberate for a second. Wow, you know, we've, we've been through an awful lot. But you know what? It's not going to be better anywhere else. Yeah, I'm all in. I would love to have seen maybe something like that play out okay and let's get to the plot a little bit quicker of course they got to fill time mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know right um you know be careful what you wish for sure. i suppose but it, the thing is they're having all of this conversation and this back and forth and this deliberation about are we or aren't we you know okay let's let's all take a vote right Isn't that kind of what it feels like yeah. and then dylan sits there and listens to everyone's argument against and he just kind of has that very disappointed look on his face like, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I got to go with or without you. Yeah. And man, the look of disappointment in his face when Harper and Becca are both telling him, I don't want to do this anymore. But did they really have the choice that he was giving them? Because later... He says, uh, and I quote, captains don't ask. So he is in a position to basically order them. So why are they having the conversation if he knows that he's going to order them to do this anyway? I I feel like this is a good time to point out, and I don't want to get too sidetracked because I I feel like we're kind of running, it's run its course, this conversation on the crew. But I just want to point out again. They are civilians, right? I don't know. 
Okay. That's what we can't figure out. <laughs> okay. Are yeah. they Commonwealth? Are they high guard soldiers? Or are they civilians that have an amazing amount of security clearance? No. Yes? No. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I I like so, to think that they are legitimate high guard officers that kind of play fast and loose with the uniform rules. <laughs> okay. Okay. But yeah, but that's, you, you bring that point. Dylan doesn't ask. Yeah, you're right. He does. He does make that abundantly clear. But these are people that they can step off at any time. Aren't they? Yeah, but they're out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's true. When, they, That's true. when they're they, having this conversation. They do have that conversation at the beginning. So, they are as far from Terrazad as uh-huh. humanly they're possible. They're as far from anything. Anything, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. No, you're right. You're right. So where are they going to go? Well, they got the Eureka Maru. They can slip anywhere they need to go. Man, did it look it bad? It looked rough. I, has it gotten worse? It has it's gotten, gotten worse. <laughs> Seriously, it looked like they had like like boards boarding up the outside <laughs> of it. I'm like, it I... I'm not an aerospace engineer. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> I don't think a wire brush and rustoleum is going to help this thing at this point. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I I did uh, I did make a mental note uh, to bring that up. That shot was very. It's looking bad. Yeah, it's looking bad. <laughs> All right. Uh, finally, Ethan. One last thing here that I want to talk about. You know, throughout season three. One of the threads of our conversation has been just how terribly the Commonwealth has treated Dylan after everything he has done. And then it all culminates with the big battle there at the end of season three. The absolute destruction of the Commonwealth. Right. And and it all seems like it, it all revolved around them not being there for Dylan. Yeah. Now, in this episode, we see that not only were they not there for him, they're pinning the whole thing on him. Yeah. And it's all because of the influence of Peru under the influence of the Abyss. Yeah. So I have to ask the question, this whole time that the Commonwealth has been essentially turning their back on Dylan, was it actually the Commonwealth or was it the influence of the Spirit of the Abyss that was trying to undermine the credibility of Dylan throughout the whole season. Well, first of all, let's address the reports of the Commonwealth's death. Death was grossly overstated, right? <laughs> because hey, all the triumvirs—not uh, triumvirs, all the uh, the trigemmas. What are they? Triumvirs. 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 Trigemma. That's, trigemma her, that's, that's her. That's her name. That's all well, that man. This is going to be confusing mm-hmm. if that's the case. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so her name the, is Gemma, but she's she's Gemma because she's a triumvir of the Is that what they're doing there? Yeah. Is that how that's working? Yeah. Yeah. The other triumvirs, we don't. I don't think we know their names yet, but they're so, also tri. So, so it's trigemma. Uh, tri. Tri. I think there's a tri saffron, Ortiz. Tri Ortiz. Yeah. Tri Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget Tri Bob. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, it, so, so the Commonwealth's not as dead as we were led to believe. Right. Uh, obviously the, they have a Senate that Dylan walks into. And a very real looking Senate hall. Oh, incredibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to, the, the point that you make on the abyss is a great one. Uh, and I actually want to 
let's just go ahead and retcon season three with what we got in season four here. Mm-hmm. That is exactly why the Commonwealth was willing to throw Dylan under the bus because it was under the influence of the abyss. Mm-hmm. That's that's where that that's where that was coming from. Yeah, I like that and make season three. I won't say it's a better season, but now I feel like I can go forward with a little more understanding. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a great point. Okay, I like it. So then the next question that that leads me to then is how is the Commonwealth going to be treating Dylan going forward now in season four? Well, we haven't got there yet. I know. We would expect but... it to be better. I mean, everybody was clapping and ready to hear his speech. Right. Which was going to be, it was epic. Mm-hmm. It absolutely it hadn't was even, going to be. Yeah, yeah, it hadn't happened yet. It was and you could so already good. Tell. It was so good that our writers couldn't even write a good enough speech. And But, hey, credit them for knowing that. Bob Ingalls knows when to quit. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. 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 But something great was going to happen there. Sure. Yeah. And everybody is applauding him. They've got his back 100%. And now, now, right? now he's going to have ships, uh, personnel. You know, we're not going to have any weeks with no personnel showing up right. on the ship. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all in now. Right. Yeah, and this so is our now, guy. When he radios into Terrazet, he's going to be like, "Hey, I'm in a crunch," and they're like, "We're sending a fleet out." Yeah, you're the man of destiny. Right, we're backing you up. Uh huh. That's exactly the message we got there at the end. Right. I I see that happening. Okay. Totally. Absolutely. Okay. Well, do we need to put a pin in that? Yeah, for sure. We're going to revisit that. Okay. Thing. Okay. Remember Excellent. that. And see how this all works out for him. Excellent. Okay. I like this. Ryan. Yo. Did we have a quote for this one? Uh, I don't. Remember if there? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, there is. Okay, I got it right here. Lay on that copy. on us. All right. <clears throat> so I've been working on this and trying to not do it all sing-songy. So here we go. Down where it was tangled and dark, down where the spirits feasted on carrion. Down, down, down. It was there. Yes, the high-hatted ones forever screamed, Eureka! Well done. Thank you. I think Doug's got the sing-song he covered for you, though. Oh, okay. Because I think I actually directed him that way. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it's been a few weeks, but right. yeah. I, I that think all goes that. in in post, so I haven't actually heard. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I sat in the room with him, and I was like, more sing-song. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, so that's our quote. Okay. Do you want to start this one off? Oh, man. Down where it was tangled and dark. You know, when the Spirit of the Abyss showed up on the command deck, it was blindingly bright. But I feel like the darkness is speaking more to the Spirit of the Abyss's character than his actual physical appearance. Um, that's obvious. I'm kind of making a joke here because, you know, the down where it was tangled and dark, um, I want to say that we know that we're talking about the abyss and the influence that the abyss has had over the Commonwealth. And this is up at the highest levels of the Commonwealth so high that they're in the underground highest levels. And so this is here, you know, this is where it's talking about 
the the high hatted ones. Yes. Um, okay, yep. so let me ask you, who do you think the high hatted ones are? Um, it is the high hatted ones are the ones that are being influenced. So it's the collectors, okay, um, the Senate, you know, anyone who is in positions of power. Okay. Okay, so when you yell Eureka, we we know that from history mm-hmm. when a scientific discovery is made. Eureka, mm-hmm. right? Okay, right. So what is it they discovered? Or when you strike gold. Or, or when you strike gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or when you go to a little place in Arkansas. Right. Anyway, um, what is what is it they're saying Eureka over? Uh, w- why? What's the discovery? The discovery of the discovery that Dylan is not a bad guy. The discovery that they are being toyed with. Okay. I like that. Okay. I like that. That's more than I can could come up with. Okay. Cool. All right. I mean, here... Eureka! I am... <laughs> we have an explanation for the quote. Right. And, you know, and I'm I'm just... I'm totally grasping here. I yeah. I don't... I don't really see anything here that is um, describing anything really that we saw in this episode. I, I'll put it this way. I saw that. I thought about it a couple of times, tried to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in subsequent re- rewatches, when I saw the quote come up, I dismissed it just yeah. out of hand and went on to the episode. Because I really, I, I can I can agree with your assessment that you've gone through here, but personally i'm not seeing anything there that to me just speaks to ah this is this is a hidden meaning inside of this episode that i can put two and two together mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. no yeah I, i'm with you there okay okay all right well enough of that let's move on from the quote ryan answers given to questions never asked mm-hmm. that's the name of the episode yeah it is did you have any answers or did you have any questions answered for you in this episode? How did you feel about this episode? Okay, yeah, you know what? Actually, I think I really did um, have some questions answered. And I, I feel like this episode coming right out of the gate for season four has done a better job of explaining what's going on in the universe than all of season three did. Throughout season three, we had a few reminders that, um, yeah, there's this thing with the spirit of the abyss and the Magog. It's a thing, but we're not really going to worry about it right now. Um, And so now, starting out with season four, it's like, hey, boom, here we are. It's a thing. It's in your face. And it is the reason why all of season three was crappy. You know, it kind of just, for me... And and maybe that is a little bit of us retconning. I don't know. Or maybe it's the writers retconning. Maybe we have read a little bit too much into this. Maybe we've overthought it. But to me, it really makes a lot of sense. And and so it does. You say you said earlier that it kind of makes season three a little bit better, but maybe not really. Um, to me, I think it makes season three a lot better. Um, not the actual watching of the season three, but I do think that it, te- it makes the storytelling. It improves the context. Of yeah. It. Yeah. Definitely. 
Because we always have these questions of, remember week after week after week, we keep saying, what is the Commonwealth deal? What is their problem? You have to say that properly. What's the the deal? deal? (laughs) Right. So, but I feel like, oh, now we know. Yeah. Now we know what their problem was. No, yeah, I I agree with you. Um, And you know me. I always like when a an episode helps to progress the overall story arc. And I feel like this episode got us back to what this series is actually about. And I feel like it enriched it. We, I don't know if I want to say we learned more about the Abyss, but I think that we got hints and some clues about some things that could be a possibility with the abyss. That's interesting. Um, in fact, I think it may be even more interesting that we don't know for sure. We're just given some clues. So now we're able to sit here and speculate going forward and say, wow, what, what is that really about? Is this actually part of the abyss or does the abyss have his own abyss minions? You know, um, I, I think that's a fun conversation there that we got to explore. Uh, and I enjoyed that conversation. Um, overall, I'm going to say, yeah, I, I enjoyed this episode and maybe that's a little bit of a hangover coming off of season three. I don't know because there was a lot of disappointment there for me. Um, but I did think that this episode was very refreshing. Uh, not a perfect episode, but you know, I, I really don't have you. Well, you you saw in our um, the section where we make our observations and do our making fun. There's not a whole lot there. I, I really didn't. And I was sitting here thinking, oh, man, I'm not going to have anything to talk about. And then we actually do have stuff to talk about. Yeah. But it's all the the more it's serious the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, con- the context and the meat of what's in the episode. Right. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot there. And I think that we had more positive to discuss than we had negative to discuss yeah um the the all forces nullification point is a thing i don't know if i want to say i don't like it but i don't understand it yeah um but here it is i I have a a hard enough time wrapping my mind around slip space and ai Mm -hmm. here's one more thing right (laughs) but okay fine yeah we'll deal with that well that's to distract you from slip space and ai (laughs) okay right okay good job right but anyway yeah i'm gonna go ahead and say yeah good episode i enjoyed it you're doing two thumbs up here i am yeah i am nobody can see it but i'm gonna go ahead and and give two thumbs up very good Mm -hmm. very good um you know on my initial watch through of this episode i was not thrilled and then the second time I watched it, it got better. The third time I watched it, it was like, okay, it's starting to click. And I'm starting to find things. I finally started writing things down for notes and observations and things like that. So it took me a while to get used to this episode. And when I first heard the title of it, I'm like, what is this title? But now, after our conversation here, and, and literally just now, in the last hour that we've had this conversation... It's clicked for me. This is probably the best titled episode of the whole series. Hmm. Because we have talked about things 
and it has given me answers to questions that I hadn't thought to ask mm-hmm. or that I didn't know I needed answers to, right? Mm-hmm. So your whole point about when you asked how do you feel like uh, the Commonwealth treated Dylan badly because of the abyss? Oh, my gosh. That's I hadn't thought about that. That's a revelation to me and takes this episode and goes from, yeah, you need to watch it because it's the season four opener to you have to watch this in order to gain context on the last 22 episodes that you just watched. Just sitting here in in my initial reaction to this dialogue that we have had, it's a much better episode than I went into this conversation wanting to give it credit for. The unfortunate thing is, if you're just Joe Blow sitting down on your couch just to watch a season four episode and you're going to start with this one, you might be left out in the cold just a little bit. And it's a little confusing. And Paru is... Uh, depending on your mood, a little hard to take mm-hmm. <laughs> at times and maybe a little too far out there. But all in all, this season four opener is a way better effort from Bob Ingalls than what we got from season three. If the wheel is fixed is a terrible episode. And this is kind of I don't want to say it's his magnum opus, but it's definitely a far better effort from Mr. Ingalls mm-hmm. as far as writing and as far as setting the tone for what this season is going to be like, because there are answers being given here or, and questions being asked that I'm interested in seeing how this is going to play out over the next 21 episodes that we're going to review over the course of this season. Yeah. So yeah, don't skip this one. It's a great episode. And if you're really in the mood to think about it in the context of what's come before, and if you are interested in what's in seeing what's going to come, or if you've even watched it already, this is a great little pause and allows, well, I was a little hard, a little harsh when it comes to Becca and Harper and Trance deliberating on whether or not they're going to continue here or not, but... I got to give props to to the writer writing and directing for allowing us the pause for a few moments to just kind of absorb what's happened. And now we're moving forward. And so this is probably the best kickoff since the cliffhanger for season one and the beginning of season two. This is the best way uh, to, to start off a new season of Andromeda. And considering how the ratings had been dropping throughout the course of season three. I mean, they got down to, I think the last time that I remember looking at it, I think the Nielsen ratings for the end of season three of Andromeda were like 1.8. And that's pretty terrible. Hmm. That's pretty bad. And it wasn't much better here at the start of season four. But if you watched it in the first run and you were part of that 1.8 or 1.7 or whatever it ended up being, a little bit of a payoff here for sticking with the series. And, uh, yeah, I I say this is a this is a decent start. You're right; it's not a perfect episode, but you know what? It gets us where where we need to be, and it gets me jazzed up and ready for the next 21 episodes that are going to come. Yeah, and you know one thing that we didn't even mention. I was getting ready to say, I was going to say one thing we forgot to mention, but you know it's it almost doesn't seem worth mentioning. But now that we're having this conversation, I'm kind of starting to reevaluate what's going on here. We have the whole situation with the, I'll call them the Tagalongs. These other ships 
that are following along with Andromeda, but are not involved in the story in any way. Right. We are, throughout the episode, reminded that there are these other ships that are following along with them. For what purpose, I don't know. But you may have noticed I completely left them out of my summary. Yeah. We haven't talked about them at all to this point. No. Even though there were characters with speaking lines. We didn't even mention them at all because they were completely inconsequential. Now I'm wondering, are they completely inconsequential? Or is that the writer's way of telling us, hey... There are groups of people who, no matter what happens going forward, even if we don't see this great big celebration of Dylan at the end, there are people who are there to support Dylan now. No, I don't. That's, that's a good point. I don't know if that's what's going on. It's just this is just a thing that's just now occurring. To but me. you can it's infer like that. maybe maybe we should mention these yeah. other tag along ships that we haven't to this point. They seem completely inconsequential. They did nothing. Yeah. But maybe, but they're there. maybe they did. They're there. Maybe they did do something. They're supporting. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Okay. That's an excellent point. Uh, so yeah, I feel like this is a this is a good. Pl- I'm in a good place with the, both the Commonwealth and with what's left of our crew. Because mm-hmm. it's we're, we're what we're down to four. Well, I mean, four if in you, a ship. If you count all the Ramis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With three. Yeah, we got three Ramis. Mm-hmm. Three Ramis and four crew. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's kick this pig. Let's go. go. They gotta recruit somebody. Get some Who are they gonna get? Out. I don't. Who's know. out there? There's there's no. Who possibly? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's just ride this out and see where the see where this crew gets us. All right, sounds good. Just as long as it's not another Nietzschean, that would not be a smart idea. That will betray everything from season three mm-hmm. that happened. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, that can't happen. No, it's not going to. Uh, maybe somebody out there has an idea of what's going to happen here with our crew. Or maybe somebody else out there would like to... Rev's out there. Yeah. Why don't we get Rev back? Yeah. I want to see Rev in season four. Here we go. Yeah. You ruined my cadence here. Now I'm going to go in. I, it was so natural. And now it's just... Ethan, We're getting back in the saddle here. I know. It's been a few weeks. Ethan, give him the email address. Uh, drive back the night. <laughs> <laughs> can't even... Uh, you can send us an email to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, using the handle at AndromedaPod. Podbean is our home, www.andromedaseries.podbean.com, where you can find every episode and a clever, cleverly worded synopsis of each story as well. And uh, if you should feel so inclined, there is a tip jar there. Uh, so that you can support the cause if you would like to. Uh, if you listen to us on an Apple podcast, definitely give us a rating and star review. Uh, the number of stars is up to you, but we like five stars, don't we? I do, yeah. Yeah. Five seems to be the best. Yeah. Oftentimes there are four lights, but we like it when there's five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then also listen to us on Spotify if you so desire. And uh, Player FM is available out there as well. Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for lending us his voice once again for this episode. We say lending us his voice. Don't we kind of own it now? Until the end of the run. Yeah, I guess yeah, we so. got We got him for two more seasons. We are an Age of Geek production. Check out Age of Geek also on Podbean. 
Uh, a lot of good stuff there. And Spotify, right? Yes, they're, absolutely. They're on all the same platforms we're on, right? Most of them. Yeah, because they own us, right? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Anyway, we... All your bases Yeah, we hope that you have enjoyed this edition of Drive Back the Night in Andromeda Series podcast. And we invite you to join us back here again next time as we discuss the episode two of season four, Pieces of Eight. 